This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quantum Tech Pod. I'm delighted you're listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you're sitting on the planet. My guest today is Dr. Si Hui Tan. She's the Chief Science Officer at Horizon Quantum Computing. Dr. Tan heads the research and development of a universal software developer tool that will compile classical code to be run on a quantum computer. Prior to joining Horizon, she was a researcher for five years at the Singapore University of Technology and Design and for three years at the A-Star Data Storage Institute. She also spent a year as a visiting professor at the Niels Bohr International Academy at the University of Copenhagen. Dr. Tan was named to the SG100 Women in Tech 2021 list. She holds a Bachelor of Science with Honors in Physics from Caltech and a PhD in Physics from MIT. Her company, Horizon Quantum Computing, is pioneering an approach to quantum computing that allows users to write programs in classical languages that can then be compiled and run on conventional or quantum computers without any knowledge of quantum computing. Horizon's compiler automatically constructs quantum algorithms from classical code, allowing both software developers interested in quantum computing, as well as experts highly proficient in quantum information theory to develop quantum algorithms for new domains without having to understand the underlying computational model. So welcome, Si Hui, and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me here. It's my pleasure. I always like to start the podcast by asking my guests to share a bit about their own personal quantum journey. And my objective is twofold, to give our audience a sense of what you did before you joined Horizon, but also to orient listeners more broadly to the fact that there are many ways and various paths that people have taken to get into the field of quantum information science. So could you please share with our listeners a bit about your own background and your path so far, maybe where you grew up and where you went to school, what you studied, and insight into the companies or organizations where you worked or did research? So I was born in Singapore. Um, it is also where I grew up. My path to the science was uh, started when I was a kid. My, my dad got me interested in math and science. Uh, he himself was interested, but never had the chance uh, to pursue those topics. Uh, I had a really good physics tutor in secondary school. Uh, so this is like uh, American grades 8 to 10. Um, and my physics tutor you know, taught really well, and I was really interested in learning more about physics. Um, so I talked to him uh, about you know, furthering studies in physics beyond um, the syllabus in Singapore at the time. So this is the O levels, the, you know, the British O levels. And, it got, and he got me into a summer research program at the National University of Singapore. So I went on to do this summer research program, uh, and I learned a great deal. It's quite different, you know, research is quite different from just learning from syllabus. So I had a really great time. And even though I think it was, um, you know, quite a, a short period of time, I kind of became very convinced that I should pursue physics. And I decided, you know, when I was 16, that I, w- I would like to have a PhD in physics and become a physicist professionally. That's an amazing, I mean, probably not many young girls were that interested in physics, I would guess. And we'll talk more about that later, but. Yeah, no, I was, I was an oddball. Um, <laughs> but I, at the same time, I was also in the choir. So I would be reading, you know, like physics magazines when I was singing in the choir. And then my neighbor would turn to me and was like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
fortunately for me, you know, I, I extended that project. Uh, it was on black holes, so it was general relativity. Uh, and it won me a scholarship uh, with ASTAR, which back then was a different name. Uh, it was the National Science and Technology Board, um, but they changed the name to ASTAR. And that research project won me a scholarship at the science fair. Uh, and that allowed me, um, you know, gave me a, it paid for, for tuition uh, for eight years. And that allowed me to pursue a physics education uh, overseas. And I chose uh, that to be in the United States. You went to Caltech, yes, that's... That's right. So, so in 1999, uh, I applied uh, and got into Caltech, which was really a dream come true. Um, really didn't expect it. You know, it's just a moonshot. It's like, you know, hey, just give it a <laughs> shot. Uh, and I was, you know, greatly influenced by the writings of Richard Feynman. I uh, love his books. And he had taught at Caltech before his death in 1988. So for me, that was like the mecca of physics. Though I understand there are many other places, but um, at that point in time, you know, that was where I would like to be. So I went and, you know, studied physics there, um, met a lot of very, you know, um, great teachers and professors. And I was initially interested in pursuing research in black holes, uh, like f furthering my studies in the project that, you know, got me into Caltech. But at some point when in my junior year, I heard about quantum computing. Um, so at that time, um, you know, Presky was already there and he had brought in uh, Kitaev. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't take the class, uh, but I did do a special project class uh, where, you know, you can study for, some, uh, for, for a term, that's what they call it, Caltech, uh, with somebody you like, like, you know, that you're interested in their work in. So I started you know, I, 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 I took that class with uh, Kitaev. I, I don't, I must admit, I didn't understand much about <laughs> quantum computing <laughs> after that, even, you know, back then in my junior year. But it got me really interested in um, quantum computing. Uh, and I went on to do a research project at uh, the Center for Quantum Technologies uh, back in Singapore, uh, which at that time had just started up. Uh, they had a bunch of people that they brought in uh, and U.S. brought in to look at starting a, um, a lab in quantum computing. So I spent a summer there and you know, that seeded the topic for me uh, to do a PhD in quantum computing. You went on to MIT, right? So. Yeah, yeah, it was a, a slow migration towards the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so, so you know, Caltech was a center in quantum computing at the time, uh, relatively, there were relatively few centers uh, MIT was the other, um, so I was fortunate enough uh, to get into MIT, uh, and so I, I, I went there. Um, though I must say, I wasn't 100% convinced that I would do quantum computing, uh, so I did meander a little bit uh, through different topics in physics. Uh, so at MIT, when you, when you are admitted to a graduate program, uh, they kind of already have a feeling of uh, where they would like you to be. So I, I think that's for funding purposes. So I was uh, I was placed in uh, the LIGO lab. So it's the laser interferometry um, gravitational you know, uh, observatory lab uh, at LIGO. Uh, but they were just moving at the stage. They were just moving uh, into phase three of their project, which is to use uh, quantum phases, uh, quantum light to be able to reduce noise in the measurements of um, you know, gravitational waves they were taking. So it's kind of related to uh, like quantum information science, uh, but it was a little bit different from what I eventually did. 
So I spent six months in LIGO, a fantastic mentor. Uh, it was Nergis Mavavala, who is now, um, I think, the Dean of Physics at MIT. It was a, a experimental project, uh, but I wanted to do theoretical work. So I, I looked around and I decided to uh, embark on a, to switch to um, uh, quantum information science. So I found uh, an advisor in uh, Seth Lloyd, uh, who was working actually not in physics, but in mechanical engineering. He likes to joke about uh, the fact that he's a quantum mechanic. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you might have heard that before. Um, so anyways, it was not a completely direct path. Uh, and, you know, but I got there eventually. And, you know, after some time, uh, I, I got the hang of quantum computing. And uh, maybe not completely, but <laughs> I graduated with a PhD thesis in uh, quantum information science. That's a fa fascinating background. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, let's talk about Horizon Quantum. Um, you know, how was it founded? Who was involved? Where did it happen? And then, more importantly, how did you get involved? So Horizon was founded in 2018 in Singapore, um, but the story began quite some time before that. Uh, I had knew Joe um, before Horizon. Uh, so Joe is the CEO of uh, Horizon Quantum Computing. Right. Uh, I was actually a senior postdoc working for him. So uh, between, you know, meeting Joe, between, you know, being a senior postdoc and graduating from MIT, there's a little bit of gap, but, you know, I had done uh, a postdoc before that. And then I was uh, working, uh, you know, with Joe, uh, for Joe at the University, uh, Singapore University of Technology and Design. So uh, the larger picture at that point uh, was that a number of companies have started making large investments in making quantum computers. So hardware, specifically, you know, like there were early quantum computers that had just been made available through the cloud. And uh, subsequently we saw very quick and very frequent advancements being made on both the hardware and the theory. It didn't take us long to come to the conclusion that the way forward for making progress um, in making quantum computing quantum computers useful is to be in the industry. Um, so Joe had already been interested in founding a quantum computing company and was just looking for the right time and best way to do that. Uh, so he 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 eventually decided so this was around 2015 2016 uh and two years later he registered uh horizon quantum computing uh and i was onboarded uh in 2019 and at that point in time uh i was i had already been working for joe for six years and uh, I was looking for a faculty, you know, like a, I, I was interested in joining industry, you know, moving into industry. But, you know, I was also kind of, you know, looking around as well to see if there are positions. And uh, at the time, my boyfriend and now husband uh, is also an academic. So we had a dual career. Um, we had a dual career, uh, you know, dual career problem, a two body problem. So we decided, yeah, so it's probably not the first time you've heard it. Um, so we decided that whoever gets their first permanent position, we would, we had a pact, right? We would just go to the place and then the other person would, the trailing spouse would look for, um, you know, a permanent position there. And I was that trailing spouse because my husband had gotten a position as an assistant professor at the Technical University of Denmark. So uh, I was in Denmark at the point looking for positions. 
Uh, and when Joe, you know, basically said, uh, would you like to be part of Horizon Quantum Computing? <laughs> and, I, and I said, yes. And I never looked back. It was the best choice in my life. No, that's great. So you're working for a Singapore company in Copenhagen. That's correct. Yeah. Great. As I mentioned in my opening remarks, um, Horizon's pioneering an approach to quantum computing that allows users to write programs in classical languages. They can then be compiled and run on conventional or quantum computers without any knowledge of quantum computing. So how does this actually work from a technical perspective? Can you share with our listeners some of the details? We're fortunate when we start, uh, you know, that we had the hindsight of, you know, many decades of experience in classical computing. So at Horizon, we believe that uh, quantum computing is computing all over again, which means that, you know, uh, we believe that at the moment when we write quantum programs, it's still very much gate by gate. Uh, but we believe that, you know, in order to enable people without quantum knowledge to write quantum programs, we would have to uh, start building up uh, capabilities to write uh, programming languages that that will not that has that, that has a higher level of abstraction. So this is what we mean by you know coding, compiling, and deploying to quantum computers without quantum knowledge. But specifically uh, to, to be able to do this, uh, we have to build a a stack, a compiler stack that can take classical programs down to gate level ones, uh, which is where we are at the moment for quantum computing as a whole. And we have to build up different capabilities uh, at different levels along the way that does different things. So we like to say at the highest level, which is the level of the classical program. So this is like something you would write for an uh, application, uh, you know, that that really just not has nothing to do with quantum computing. So it's like, you know, if you want to solve a problem uh, of gradient descent or, you know, in uh, or solve uh, differential equations in fluid dynamics, you have some program that you you have you you have you have written some program to solve the problem that you're looking at or to do simulations. We will look at things in that program that uh, when compiled might have a quantum speed up. Specifically, these are things that are um, expensive, so like loops, uh, recursive functions, and also uh, function calls that have relatively high complexity. So just a, to give an example, you know you might be using MATLAB, say, and you are trying to use, uh, you know, the minimize the, the optimization packages to find, uh, you know, the points of uh, a minimum, a, mi a minimum point in your manifold. So that those, uh, those are one-liner uh, calls, and there's a one line in the in the code, but they they might take a long time to complete, um, you know, to to find the answer for you, or you know, if they could complete. So we've, if we take all of these, uh, we try to find these features in the Costco program. And from there, um, we will try to tackle the different structures separately. Uh, so first of all, we will try to split the loops up into smaller loops into the, you know, to, to, to split them up so that, you know, they have, they have simpler structures within each loop. And then we'll also try to split recursive functions into simpler lines of code. And then when we have these pieces of code split up, we are, we are better able to turn them into a refracted uh, quantum circuit. So this means that if there's a quantum advantage, uh, the quantum program, we will uh, defer the calculation to a quantum program. And these programs would do exactly the same things as the Costco program that you started out with, but in a more efficient way using quantum techniques. 
That said, (laughs) 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 there is uh, still a lot of things to be done. So so that's just the high level part. So this is like the top layer of um, the compiler. We are planning to open up early access, uh, but that's not what users will get access to right away, like the um, you know compiling classical programs to quantum programs. The first things that our users will get access to is something that we call triple alpha, uh, which is essentially the, the lower levels that's still quite close to hardware, but with some level of abstraction from gate level languages. Uh, so for example, they will have the ability to compile C and to some extent C++ uh, to write subroutines and call them. Uh, and turn them into highly efficient quantum circuits. They will have the ability to compile loops and write control flow for uh, quantum programs, but also to be able to define uh, their own instruction sets for quantum gates and operations so, so that they can compile quantum programs for different architectures. So I want to get ask you know, how your approach works with, as you're implying, the various languages currently being used to develop quantum algorithms, Python, Qiskit, Q-sharp, Circ, Ticket, as well as libraries like Julia Bash, Penny Lane, and then follow-on, are there specific SDKs, APIs, IDEs that you favor or that you're leaning toward? Yeah. Um, so Horizon believe that, quote, prob- portability is key. Uh, so there are some limitations uh, to the programming languages that we that are already out there that will limit us, and you know it's it's difficult to it will eliminate possibility to work on um, you know like a, a, a range of hardware and and frameworks. So uh, we, for example, the programming languages uh, that are existing out there uh, like uh, Kiskit, you mentioned Qiskit, Circ, Ticket. They do not allow for uh, composition of programs. You can't have uh, infinite runtimes. So the the programs that you write uh, have to have a finite size and you can't express uh, loops in your programs. For end users, um, you know, we are are actually building uh, our own languages so that we have the possibility to work on any type of hardware and their corresponding framework. What we focus on is uh, a language for the quantum backend. So the I mentioned the different previously I mentioned the different layers and um, that we're pushing out triple alpha. So the so let's just take triple alpha for example. So it will allow us to uh, coordinate you you know uh, write control flow. So we can coordinate uh, quantum instructions on the backend, uh, and it's not just a wrapper for expressing the quantum instructions so that you can you know do calculations like some of the other quantum languages that you mentioned. Uh, it is natively quantum and totally executable on quantum processors. So at the end of the quantum computation, the the thing that you get back, the results of the computation, um, is uh, you know something like measurements or quantum circuit, and it's wrapped out in a um, standard interface that is compatible with um, you know classical architectures. And the users can use whatever classical interface they want to process the results. For example, the output could be instruction set in the language of a targeted processor, like um, Chasm for IBM or Bracket for AWS, um, Quill for Rigetti. And so we're not limited to using libraries and we have flexibility to work with um, different domains without um, having to you know, be tied to a particular framework. Obviously has tremendous potential for you know extending quantum programming capabilities to a 
wider audience. What role is Horizon playing sort of on the, on the quantum software development front from a meta perspective? And then in turn, you know, how might investment help address this software barrier that Horizon's looking to you know, get over? Um, it's a really good question. As quantum practitioners, um, we have to remind ourselves of the importance of not just developing hardware, but also that you know, uh, software needs a lot of development too. So for example, if, if we have a quantum computer today um, you know, that's clean and that is large enough to run um, fault-tolerant algorithms, uh, we wouldn't be able to do much of it now because the number of algorithms is limited. Um, so we believe that a parallel development of hardware, fault tolerance, uh, you know, algorithms and software fronts will allow us to get to useful quantum computing faster. And, you know, part of uh, what we believe in is that, you know, by building this tool chain that um, gives you a higher level abstraction for writing quantum uh, programs from classical code will enable developers without quantum knowledge um, to be able to do that and broaden the reach of quantum computers. Uh, so that, you know, it's it's not a straight path, but it will be a back and forth between, um, you know, development in hardware and uh, software and through time and practice and experience with input from domain-specific uh, developers uh, in computationally difficult areas like uh, geomining, you know, aerospace, uh, pharmace uh, pharmaceutical companies. Uh, we, we might be able to find, um, you know, users for quantum computing that we do not know about today. Yeah, that's a very, very exciting approach for sure. And expanding the potential impact, accelerating the potential impact. Speaking of users, my listeners are always interested in the perennial question, clients, right? Um, can you share information, any current engagements, or are you primarily in sort of a research and development phase? Or are there any early adopter or end users you can cite? Yeah, we, we have had a lot of interest, um, but mostly we are in the pre-launch stage at the moment. Uh, we have had research and development contracts, but we have not opened up early access to our tools. Um, I mentioned a little bit earlier that we are launching triple alphas. Uh, it will be in early access this year. Uh, so our, our thought about this is that um, it will be initially open to a select group of users. And uh, those, these will be people who will gain the most from using our tools. And um, if I may give a little <laughs> plug, uh, users can sign up on our website. Uh, and, you know, uh, we invite uh, you to, um, we will invite you as features become uh, applicable to your, to your use case. Yeah, we'll put, we'll put the URL in the, in the abstract on the website and or in the comments so people can, can sign up. I want to ask you about uh, plans to open your first European office in Ireland with a new engineering center. It's going to be expanding global operations. I saw pictures of uh, Joe Fitzsimons on LinkedIn grinning ear to ear in Dublin. Um, what's the latest on that exciting endeavor? And are you increased, you must be finding increased interest uh, in Europe. Yeah, as much as I can catch up with it. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's it's definitely very exciting. Um, the Europe and uh, Europe and the U.S. are are large, um, you know, markets for us. Like, and also, you know, there's a lot of interest in quantum computing in these areas. Uh, it is uh, not specifically for um, you know, sales of our software or anything, but to build up. Uh, our interest at the moment is to to build up engineering teams. Um, so you you already mentioned that we are um you know, situating our engineering uh, division in, in Ireland. So that said, I think, you know, uh, it's 
very much in the works. We have an, we have just uh, gotten an office. The registration came in, uh, so this is fresh off the press. <laughs> Good. Yeah, but uh, that said, you know, it's it's relatively easy to set up an office, which is one of the reason reasons why we、uh, decided on Dublin, along with the fact that、uh, you know Joe is Irish, so our CEO is Irish, and we have strong connections、uh, to to Ireland. Um, so we have begun、um, looking at uh, applications. Uh, we are taking applications for the Dublin office.、Uh, myself, I've looked through, you know, sci-、uh, scientist rows.、Uh, we have people applying、uh, nonstop, like to, to the office. <laughs> we also joined the Trinity College Dublin in their launch of the Trinity Quantum Alliance as a founding partner.、Yeah. Uh, this is. Yeah, a collaboration with、uh, Microsoft, IBM, Moody's, and Algorithmic. So that that's really exciting.、Um, I'm hoping you know to to see what comes out of it, and very excited to、uh, embark on this journey. I want to shift gears for a moment and talk about gender parity, if you will. So you have you studied and conducted research in the fields of mathematics and physics for more than twenty years. You are used to being one of the few women in a male-dominated field. I want to ask if you could. Share advice or perspective. You know, what, what would you say to smart, talented women interested in working in quantum? Yeah, there, there's so many things to say about it. You know,、um, but I think it's at at my advantage. <laughs> 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 I, I I think、um, I I usually if if I put down a few bullet points,、um, I would say you know it is okay to be among the few. So、uh, colloquially, I would say it's okay to be weird. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that might be, yeah. <laughs>、um, and I think it's hard to be among the few because you know you have fewer role models to look up to.、Um, but you know you are not alone. Like you know there are people out there.、Um, you have to find them, and definitely it takes some work. And it, it you know it might take some time to find help、uh, for certain problems.、Um, uh, and and you really have to work at it. Um, but you know there are also、uh, I, I guess also my experiences in quantum information science. So I, I think for for that experience、um, in my past, I I had been fortunate in you know getting a lot of help from、uh, my PhD advisor Seth Lloyd, you know my postdoc advisor. So it was、um, you know in various places and sometimes also、um, I, I'm I'm the kind of person who would you know try out different things.、Um, so for example, I mentioned I, in school I was in choir, so I tried to look for、uh, avenues where I can be myself, like little you know like. In a place that's different from the environment that I'm working in, so I tried ballroom dancing for a while as well. You know, so I had a lot of help in contacts and connections in those areas, even if sometimes you're, you know, among the weird ones in different contexts. <laughs>、um, but I would say,、um, if anything, you know, surround yourself with allies and stay strong against naysayers, like people who might be negative. That's always those. You know, just you, you really have to. Um, be strong and say, okay, you know, it's okay if it doesn't work out for you. You know, I'll just <laughs> be myself. <laughs> yes, no, that's great advice. Thank you. The segue from the the new office in Dublin. I want to get your take on the challenges facing a company like Horizon in finding talent. You know, how do you go about recruiting? Do you have affiliations with universities? You mentioned the Trinity、um, consortium, whatever. That's very exciting. Also, are there roles in specific disciplines that are harder to fill than others? Like, are you still fitted with like the universities in Singapore, for example, or are there other? Not、um, officially. Caltech or MIT. Or? Yeah, not officially, but we are in a good position in the sense that,、um, you know, Joe and I we have been working in this、uh, 
uh, area for a very long time. So somehow it's, it's a, you know, the culture surrounding research and, um, you know, having been in the university, uh, it feels like, you know, I, I just gave a talk at, uh, you know, the Center for Quantum Technologies in Singapore. And, you know, I was just saying to, um, you know, to my folks back at Horizon that, you know, it feels like going home because, <laughs> you know, this, you know, it's, it's just, environment that you're used to. So we have been very active in this area and, and fortunately with uh, good reputation. So researchers uh, have been, we found that researchers have been willing to come work with us at a company. Um, but, you know, everyone is challenged in the area of talent. And you were asking about, you know, is, are there specific roles that are difficult to fill? Uh, so yeah, quantum information science, you know, the ones in quantum computing for scientists roles, uh, especially, you know, very specific areas, those are tend to be difficult to find, but also in, you know, we, we are looking in areas of, uh, you know, product management, uh, you know, and we have a role for technical product management where, you know, somebody has to have like, you know, some product management uh, experience, uh, but also, you know, you know, uh, knowledge of quantum computing. So, you know, that that tends to be a little more difficult. That said, we were able to find somebody from CQT. So <laughs> we have been extremely lucky. Um, see, Hui, I'd like to end the podcast. We're coming to the end here. I want to um, ask you about your vision for where you think quantum computing might be in three to five to 10 years. And more broadly, you know, what kind of impact do you think it's going to have on how we live and work? Could you to wax philosophic for a moment here? Yeah, it's um, it's a wacky time, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I, I think uh, a lot of the predictions I'm going to say is I'm going to end up being uh, completely wrong, but I, I, if I can say my, you know, piece, I guess, a few cents uh, of thoughts. Um, but I, I think in the next three to five years, uh, we'll start to see some of the fruition of the developments we are doing today, uh, that we have been doing today uh, for, for Horizon, you know, on the software front. So I think uh, uh, programming quantum computers will become more and more like programming conventional computers. Um, and you know, for, and then building on that in the next time frame, uh, in ten years, twenty years, we probably start to see uh, broader advantages, um, especially when you know hardware is also moving so quickly. Uh, we'll get more qubits. We will have cleaner uh, quantum gates, cleaner qubits. Uh, so we we might you know even be able to achieve fault tolerance. Um, so I I think there are some great things, uh, and I hope also to see more. Uh, you know, people in domain-specific application areas of uh, high-performance computing, you know, come in and also uh, co-develop uh, with us on these areas. Um, yeah, it's super exciting. Yeah. So, what, so what kind of domains do you think it will will be impacted uh, initially and then eventually? Yeah, I think uh, that's a, also a very good question. Um, I think right now we are a lot of the work, uh, you know, POC proof of concept work has been in areas where we know about uh, certain algorithms that solve a particular application. So one of the popular things uh, that people are looking at uh, is invariational algorithms. So this is about uh, you know, estimating, approximating um, you know, uh, expectation values of certain operators with quantum systems. Uh, so these are then you know you try to match that to a particular uh, optimization problem, or you, you know you're trying to get to uh, you know cleaner uh, estimates for ground states and things like that, which is you know applications has applications in uh, you know molecular chemistry, you know in so this you know leads to uh, you know finding drugs for pharmaceuticals and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but I think uh, what we are really uh, targeting w would be broader than that because. 
we essentially we essentially see quantum computers as a form of uh, high performance compute computing. So anything that requires a lot of computational power could potentially be impacted. Uh, it's just that we haven't had enough experience in those areas uh, where you know you know just to spend <laughs> I spent almost twenty years in in, in physics and quantum computing you know but somebody else has spent twenty years in, in a different area so we have to get um, you know the engagement in, in the different areas is very specific but very deep and you know I can't you know be an aerospace engineer you know within like you know a year or something right but somebody coming in from there could come in and say oh actually and then boom oh my god <laughs> we have advantage here you know i don't know right um yeah but yeah i hope to see more engagement on that and i think if i may say you know i, I hope the software we're going to roll out will help with that we've come to the end of our conversation thanks Sihui, for joining me today i really enjoyed talking with you and getting your perspective on uh the great work you're doing um, at Horizon. I want to invite people to follow you and the company on LinkedIn. I'm going to point listeners to the website. It's horizonquantum.com. I noticed also you're active on social media channels. You have a Twitter handle at horizon underscore quantum on Twitter and at horizon quantum computing on YouTube. So thanks again for joining me. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Sihui, for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening. Please share this podcast on your social media channels to increase the impact of my conversation with Sihui. Listen to my other podcast episodes if you haven't already, and please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. This has been a production of Inside Quantum Technology. You've been listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology. For more information on this episode or other topics relating to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.